Father, thank you that you're the ultimate father. Thank you for Father's Day. Thank you for all of the, the dads, the fathers, the father figures in our church, in our lives. People have spoken wisdom. People have led us. People have given us inspiration and encouragement. And we pray that you would reveal a little bit of your father heart this morning to everybody that's here and listening on the podcast. In Jesus' name, amen. Start off with uh, Psalm 36, verses 5 to 7. Uh, in my, my short, we're sharing the message this morning, don't worry, we're not going to finish at 12.30. Just because there's two of us speaking doesn't mean we're going full message each. So in, in the short time I have this morning, Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 36, verse 5 to 7. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. I want to talk about the love of God and the the love of Father God. See, I, I grew up in church and at some point... I came to the understanding of this thing. We have this term in Christian circles of unconditional love. It's the, the love of God. No matter what has happened, there's, there's no conditions on it. And so growing up in church, I heard about this and I came to understand that God loves me no matter what I've done and no matter what circumstance I've come from. And, and we've been talking about this through the book of Galatians this year. That the, At the baseline of the gospel is this thing called love. That Jesus loved us, not because we did anything. This whole thing, he died on the cross, not because we could earn it, we could achieve it, we could come to some sort of attainment of it, other than the fact he just decided, because he loved us, he would die on the cross and, and be that sacrifice for our sin. So it's unconditional love. There's, and that's what we've been unpacking through this year. Gospel can't be added to, but God has accepted us because he loves us. And for no other reason, that's why he did it. See, I, I understood this, and, have, and having lived understanding this growing up in church, I was blessed to be able to do that. But it was really only when I started having my own children that I really grasped the idea of unconditional love. I really understood it. Not from just this concept that you might hear about from somebody talking on a microphone about unconditional love and uh, you know, experiencing that, that relationship with Jesus and experiencing the love of when he comes into your heart and, and, and you, you give your life to him and go, yeah, I am loved, I am accepted. But I think I really came to grasp the full understanding of unconditional love when I started to give unconditional love. Uh, so when I became that giver of unconditional love. So I just got... Because it's, this is the first time I've talked on Father's Day, so uh, Jemima's nearly three years old, so I've got three years' worth of things to show you. Uh, just the f- first video, this is uh, Jemima at 10 days old. Hopefully it works. Thanks, Michelle. And, and just flick on to the next photo if you don't mind. 
So the, uh, this is Jemima at two and a half weeks, and you can just leave that up for a bit if you like. So you, see, the idea is you, uh, becoming a father. Like, how, how can I... Do I have enough love? Do I, can, am I capable of being a father? And I, th- I think all the dads or the fathers here might be able to relate to that on some level. Like, a- am I ready for this? Can I do this? And you know, do, do I have enough love? Have I had enough life training? And, and I don't think you ever do. But w- when it happens, you just kind of click into it. And, and, and the idea of unconditional love is like you, you look at that and you just love it's all you can do. And, and Jemima, you see, she can make cute noises at, at 10 days old, and she makes a lot more noises now at almost three. As, as some of you have seen, she's not particularly quiet a lot of the time, which is great. I, I, I love it. She's got so much personality. But purely, you just, you just love this. I remember holding her for the first time, and just like you, you can't help but love her, love that child. And that's what God is like to us. Jemima didn't do anything. She just purely existed. She came into the world and instantly you feel love for her. You feel love for your children. You can't... She hasn't gone to university. She hasn't gone to high school. She hasn't played sport or learned a musical instrument or done anything to earn any affection. She just purely has just come into the world and existed. So that gave me kind of a a fuller understanding of this idea of unconditional love and and the gospel that we've talked about. Uh, through this year, particularly, so much love that it can't be can't be changed. You might grow in, in, in the pride that you have for the children and the achievements, and as they learn little things, but you love them just because they exist, and that's like God does for us. Well, yeah, well before it could ever do anything. I've got a series of uh, photos, Michelle. If you'd just go into that slideshow, please. They, they, these are just a, a few selfies and, and uh, photos of Jemima and myself. Just to, over the last two and a half, three years, and, and just just to kind of show, you, we we have these moments. We grow, we, we kind of been growing up with her. She's she's full of great expressions and great moments. Teaching life skills, swimming, and and, and she's following me around with the, the lawnmower. More great and and the look of love and you know fun they have together. It's. It's all just moments as we grow in our relationship, but it all started with that unconditional love. Most of the ones I threw in were selfies, just the two of us, but that photo was so good with Carmen, I had to throw it in as well. And that's a slightly more recent one. So you can see, we, we have a lot of fun as we grow in that relationship, but it's not that anything has been done to, to earn that. It's just we, we love each other and then we get to know each other. So the love came first. All the rest is just a bonus. One last little uh, short video. This is Jemima at uh, 15 months. Ooh. It is on. <laughs> You're hiding it from yourself. Oh. oh. Say hello. Is your belly button? <laughs> belly button. Where's your nose? Good girl. Where's your eyes? Eyes? So you, you're still learning, uh, but it's it's these little milestones where you go, oh, that's so cute, and it just your pride 
grows, but it, it just starts with that baseline of unconditional love and you, you grow in that relationship and you, you have those moments together and it's a lot of fun sharing those developmental milestones. So you, you have one child and you think, great, you know, I was capable of this unconditional love, but then we decided we'd have another child. And, and the, the thoughts that go through your head as a new father, and, and I've had these conversations and ex- with a lot parents of all sorts of ages and, and life experience and, and you'll have that moment I think where you go am I capable of loving another one just as much as the first one is it possible like is it is it all coming out of the same love uh, quota or is it like a but you, you discover with a second child it's like each one has has their own and you, you can't describe it it just is and so I've got uh, just a couple of photos of Toby came along uh, almost a, a year ago last November so that's some of our, our first moments after he's finally wrapped up. And one more photo in there. And, and this is Jemima meeting Toby, so the, the two of them together. Uh, it, you might have seen that one on Facebook last November. So the thoughts go, do I, do I have enough love for two? Uh, I had unconditional love. Do I have enough room in my heart to, to love two or more children? Uh, see, I don't know how it works, but the answer is yes, you can and you do. Unconditional love as a father, uh, well, lo- you love them for being different, you love them for who they are, and, but you love them just as much. And how much more God, the perfect father, loving each one of us individually for who we are, uh, but um, there, there's no one more or less, just individually for who we are, it celebrates each one of us, uh, and, and we all can experience the same love. Now, I'm no perfect father, I'm far from perfect. Uh, and, and there is no such thing as a perfect father except for God. But having kids, it's given me a little bit more of an insight into this idea of unconditional love and into how God the Father looks at us as his children, and he is perfect. Now, we might come to church from a variety of different backgrounds. As I said, I grew up in church, so I've been in church for 20 years. Sorry, 31, 31 years. A little slip of the tongue. But maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you've been here for a few weeks or a few months, maybe a few years. Uh, maybe you grew up in church and you're a few decades older than me. Maybe you've been around a lot longer. We, we might come from a different culture. We might come from a different country, even a different suburb, and, and, or even just a, a different type of family. And the experience, our experience of what a father is, when we come to church and we come to hear about God as a perfect father, we, we might look at God through kind of these uh, tinted glasses of, of this different experience and maybe from our own background. And it would be unfair to compare God as a perfect father to our fathers who are imperfect. For Jemima to look at God and say, you're amazing, you're perfect, and look at me and say, this, 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 and this is you know, not, not perfect. And, and so much on, on the reverse, if we were to look at God and say, well, because my father was like this, then God must be like that as well. He must have the same characteristics. And I'll unpack that a little bit more. What I'd like to do, Michelle, please, if you throw up the next image, just, to, just have a look at that picture. I, I, I've tried to find the smallest block of chocolate I could find at the supermarket. Um, no, no, I'm not leaving David anywhere near this chocolate. I won't see it again. Uh, so 
trying to think of the love of God like chocolate. Now, let's just say, who, who here has never eaten chocolate? Ever. Okay, so let's pretend we're not who we are. Let's pretend you've never had chocolate. You've come from another continent that hasn't had contact with the parts of the world that have eaten chocolate. And I'm standing here trying to describe how wonderful chocolate is. So it's so sweet, it's creamy, uh, it gives you a little bit of energy, a little bit of boost. It can, you can melt it, you can put it into drinks, you can do all sorts of amazing things. It's a wonderful staple of my diet. Yeah. Yes, it's good preaching, I know. Now try to think of the love of God like chocolate, or, or the character of God. So if you've never tasted that chocolate, if you've never tasted that, that perfect love, that unconditional love, that character of God, then what I'm trying to describe would be a bit foreign and a bit strange. Now, if all you can associate is brown things, and I'm trying to describe, this is amazing, it's just, this, this chocolate is brown, it's sweet, and maybe you, all you've seen is bark, maybe you've seen um, dirt or poo. Like, all, all you can associate with brown is poo and dirt then you're not going to be so interested in trying this brown food. Maybe you come from a different country and you've tried Vegemite and go, well, chocolate might look a bit like Vegemite. I'm not going anywhere near it. (laughs) (laughs) Or or Marmite. Now, if you've never seen chocolate before, you don't know what you're missing out on. In the same way, to make the leap, what if you didn't grow up with a father? You didn't grow up with that father figure in your household? then if you haven't experienced that before when you come into church or come to hear about God, then it would be such a foreign concept to understand. And, and maybe you just need to open the packet and try a piece at a time to get to understand. And what I'm going to do as I'm sharing the last little bit, I'll just ask Chris and Brendan to hand, hand those around. I did bring some chocolate for everybody. I'm not just going to stand up here and talk about chocolate and not make you... <laughs> And it's all the same flavour, don't worry. (laughs) Best preaching ever, yes. Yeah, yeah, you can eat it now, open it up. Taste the love of God, otherwise known as chocolate. Okay, so while you're unpacking that chocolate, let, let's just say maybe you're lactose intolerant. You probably didn't pick up a bit of chocolate right now, or you, or you don't like Cadbury, or you don't. There, there's something um, maybe you're allergic to cocoa uh, f- for some reason. Now, for me, that would be horrible. Um, uh, not not to make light of any in- intolerances or uh, allergies, but if any of the ingredients that I told you about. Uh, it's creamy, it's, it's sweet. Maybe you've had a bad experience with that sort of thing before and, and then you say, oh, I don't, I'm wary of tasting this thing called chocolate. I don't want to go near it. Um, and, and maybe that's actually you, you. You can't have chocolate for any sort of reason. How, how, how much can we be like that coming into church, coming to experience the love of God? If, if having seen our earthly fathers 
and, and possibly their imperfections, we, we come and say, well, God must be like this too. Because I've had a bad experience before. So I'm, I'm uncertain of experiencing, uh, kind of taking that step of faith to experience the love of God because of the experiences of my past. Maybe you're intolerant to, uh, towards uh, certain father figures because of their history and bad experiences, and this could keep you from experiencing the unconditional love of God. What about bad chocolate? Who's ever had like cheap and nasty Christmas-type chocolate? It's like, what is it? It kind of tastes like cardboard, maybe a bit of chewy plastic. It might taste like the wrapper it was in them, chocolate. Maybe, what about carob? Yes. It's a pale imitation on the real thing. But maybe just to kind of take the leap from the funny to the serious, maybe we've been chasing after the thinking was seeking the real thing and being getting pale imitations of, of love, seeking love in the wrong places. <coughs> How much more can the perfect love of God provide for us? See, maybe you've had an, an absent father and might struggle to see God as always present. Maybe, and, and that might have been growing up without a father or maybe just a father that was away at work or one that was there but not there and, uh, or an impatient father, maybe you struggle to see God as patient. Maybe you financially struggled, might struggle to see God as provider, Jehovah Jireh. Some really quick verses I'm just going to race through just to sort of go on to understand. Maybe uh, uh, earthly fathers aren't perfect, but our Heavenly Father is. And, and just some verses to back that up he, Hebrews 13. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Consistent. He's always the same. 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. He's patient. 1 John 1 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness. James 1. Every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Psalm 18, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Malachi 3, 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, the children of Jacob, are not consumed. So God is perfect. His word proves true. He is a shield. He does not change. He's consistent. 1 John 4.16, God is love. Whoever loves, whoever lives in love, lives in God and God in them. So finally, I just want to encourage you, no matter what your experience of, of an earthly father, and Chris will talk a little bit about father figures in a moment. Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We'll just pray for a moment. God, just thank you for your presence here this morning. I pray as I've been speaking and through the rest of this morning, your Holy Spirit is touching hearts, revealing your love, lifting up the earthly fathers and our father figures but revealing your perfect, unconditional love to those that may have not have experienced it before.
that even right now you are healing, healing hearts and broken relationships. And your presence is falling on every person here this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Nathan. Just going to invite Chris up here right now to share some more with us. Can I take this? It's trying. Just needs a, a quick drink. Good morning. I too have inherited Nathan's uh, husky voice in an attempt to uh, out uh, something. I don't know. Um, uh, my, I, I'm going to tell a story from a slightly different perspective, um, although I am also a father. Uh, I, I, I looked back on, on my life and thought I'd share what is important from my perspective about actually having a father. Now, as, as Nathan pointed out, fathers aren't perfect. And my father was, my father was a dangerous man. Um, and I foolishly invited him here this morning to actually hear me preach, and he accepted. Um, so I have to be very careful about how dangerous I let you know that he was. Um, but the, the thing is that the imperfections, if you like, of, of my father have actually made me the man I am, because the imperfections didn't actually matter, because looking back on my life, I realise exactly what Nathan was talking about, that my father showed me unconditional love. And out of that unconditional love, he actually showed me trust. And out of that, I actually trusted him. And because of that, a lot of things in my life have been born out of that trust. A lot of my attitudes to life, a lot of the fact that I mean, I came out of my family life believing really, really stupid things. I, I, I left my family home believing that I could do anything. I mean, how foolish is that? And it's all my parents' fault, especially my father. Now, let, let me set the scene. Uh, my parents and I were 10-pound poms. In fact, uh, we emigrated here in, in 1960, and I, I, I discovered... I'm actually featured in a newspaper article about emigrating to Australia. Would you, would you like to see it? I've actually got the article. They had newspapers then. That doesn't appear to show very much of it. Are we having technical... Okay, perhaps I can get somebody to... Uh, I'll keep talking... Uh, as uh, the slide probably hasn't downloaded or something uh, wonderful like that. But the copy of this, uh, this particular newspaper article it actually shows a, a wonderful picture of yours truly in the arms of his mother at two years old. And the copy reads, Peter Matthews, my father, a 26-year-old geography teacher from Billinghurst, Sussex. There we go. Don't I look cute? is going to Australia 
because he finds, feels he will find greater opportunity there. And that, yeah, notice that little ad there? Everyone can go to Australia for only 10 pounds. And let me tell you, I just feel sorry for the people who didn't take up that offer. Because best thing that happened to me, I'll tell you. Uh, it goes on to say, I have a three-year contract with the South Australian Educational Authorities and my starting salary is £350 a year more than I was getting in England. Do you know, what, what would that equate to in total, do you know? You know £1,000 or, or, or something, huge amounts of money. Um, and it says, out there a house is supplied with the teaching go- job and this is the bit that gets me, although I don't know until I arrive exactly where I'll be sent. But wherever I go, it should be tremendously interesting. I mean, is that, is that a pioneering spirit or what? We came to a South Australia not knowing where the heck we were going to go. Um, and it was interesting. We were actually sent to Wollonga, which is about 40, 50 k's south of Adelaide. Um, and Wollonga happens to be just about 6 k's from Aldinga Beach. And this is where my father taught me life lessons. He taught me how to sail. Now, my dad had served uh, on an aircraft carrier just after World War II as an electrical engineer, I believe, um, or a mechanic, one of the two. Electrical engineer sounds a lot better. Um, And uh, I, I, I didn't consult him prior to this, so some of the facts may be loosely associated, but he had applied to join the Merchant Navy upon his Royal Navy discharge, um, but due to a case of red-green colour blindness, was not accepted, something which I luckily didn't uh, inherit. Nonetheless, when he came to Australia, he had seawater running through his veins, and he was passionate about sailing, my mother would say, probably under her breath, obsessed. Um, And so on on his teacher's salary, no matter how much better it was than in England, uh, he could not afford a luxury yacht. So he bought the next best thing, a 12-foot fibreglass dinghy, and this is my father's pride and joy. And no, I don't mean his son hanging on the back. Can you just hold that for a second? (laughs) Thanks, Brendan. Now, this thing was called a Seamate. It was a dinghy, which I think he brought through an, a promotion in the Advertiser newspaper. Um, and I think it cost around $1,200, which back in whenever it was, the 70s, I think, uh, was quite a bit of money. I know for a start that didn't make my mother happy. In fact, I don't think she ever went out in it. But with this dinghy, my father drew me into his world of sailing, something I'd never really experienced. Um, and I soon learned all the nautical terms and what they meant and also how to do them. I learned how to tack, how to jibe. I learned the difference between a shroud, a sheet, and a halyard, and I knew what they were for. I learned when to use the centreboard, when not to, difference between sailing close-hauled and on a broad reach and all, all of these little naval terms. And, and you might be thinking that... This was, this was an idyllic time of my life because, see, my dad was passionate about this stuff. He'd, we'd sail along and he'd describe what we were doing and what the wind was doing and how we should react. And there was, there was this running commentary because he was passionate 
about this stuff. So I, I learned all of this stuff. And it sounds as though we would spend idyllic summer days out on the calm waters of St. Vincent's Gulf, sailing and having a good time. Well, unfortunately, we didn't. Because, you see, the, de- the boat that Dad bought was a bit of a lemon. In light winds and calm seas, it was like a cow. It wallowed around. It, it wouldn't sail with any speed. It was, it was unresponsive and pretty boring to sail. Which made my dad very unhappy. Because he believed that things created for a particular task should perform that task as advertised. Now, that, I, I, now that's nothing he... Pa- he didn't pass that on to me, I'm sure. I, um, I get very upset with technology that doesn't work as as advertised as well, so I think there might be something in that. But to my dis- uh, bad fortune, I guess, he discovered somewhere along the way, probably by accident, that when the wind got to gale force and the seas became storm-like, this thing behaved like an absolute champion. And so I never saw a calm day sailing again. As soon as there was a storm warning, we were down at Aldinga Beach putting the boat out. And, you see, my father, once he'd realised that this happened, he wasn't the sort of person that said, OK, well, let's just go sailing around. He had this boat that he'd worked out, liked rough weather and strong winds. And so he had to discover just how far and how much this boat could take. And we didn't have a trapeze on it. It wasn't that sort of thing. We had kick straps, which you stuck your ankles under, hold yourself over the side of the boat and lean like crazy to stop it falling over in the water. And so there was the both of us sitting in this thing, leaning like crazy, and he would sail it as, as fast, as close to the wind as possible. And he'd get the, uh, the lee gunwale, or the, the rim of the boat, on, on, the, on the other side, as close to the water as he could to see how hard we could push this thing. Uh, and guess what? Sometimes he pushed it too hard. In fact... He, you know, his theory was that you can only discover the limits if occasionally you go over them. And so I spent a lot of my time being thrown through the air as this boat capsized violently or just, he used to just sail it straight into the sea. I mean, the water would just start coming over and he just... <laughs> straight in. And then, of course, we'd have... I mean, I can still remember one time we turned it turtle. The mast was bouncing on the bottom. And he had to take his life jacket off and swim down and, and push the mast off out of the mud. And so you might think, I had a terrifying childhood. But you know what the interesting thing was? I trusted him. Because you see, he was an expert. He'd been in the Navy. He'd, he'd, he'd sailed on an aircraft carrier. Aircraft carrier, dinghy, same thing. <laughs> Just bigger. I don't know how many times they had to stand on the rudder of the aircraft carry it, uh, they'd send aboard to get it back up again. Um, but I, I was sure he was an expert in everything. He, he talked like one. And so and I, he'd been on outward bound courses and taught kids you know, sailing in whale boats out on Lake Alexandrina. So I knew he, he'd had some skills. But for some strange and unknown reason, I trusted him because he'd actually let me into his world. He was passionate about this and he'd drawn me in and he'd shown me things. And sometimes it was a bit frightening. I mean, I, didn't, I wasn't a particularly good swimmer. We had life jackets. And Aldinga Beach, when I dis- uh, so I discovered later, is one of the most shark-infested spots along the coast. 
but we lived there. Nobody had ever told us that. I just thought the spotter planes in summer were, happened on every beach. <laughs> um, and anyway, the sharks were too stupid to be swinging around in the weather we were sailing in. Um, we wouldn't have seen 10 feet in front of them. But looking back on it, he was actually a very dangerous man. Looking back, I am not sure that he was actually in as much control as I thought he was at the time. You see, I had faith in his abilities. And I was actually a very withdrawn child. I mean, given a choice on any given weekend, I would have sat inside and read a book. In fact, probably ten. Because my father didn't teach geography when he came to Australia, he became an English teacher and a librarian. So our house was always full of books. And I think he realised, and I don't know whether he planned this, but he knew somehow that he had to take me out of myself somehow and show me life. And so he taught me that sometimes to find your limits, you have to go over the limits. Sometimes life isn't safe but it doesn't mean you're a failure if you can't cope with it. You just have to get back up. It's like a horse, really. You just have to get back up on the boat and bail. It had a great venturi system. You were going fast enough, you took the plugs out of the bottom and all the water shot out of the boat and emptied it. Yeah, right. I mean, I can remember about three times we ever, actually ever got fast enough for the venturi system to work. And even then it was like watching paint dry. We had an ice cream container in the boat and we bailed. It worked a lot, it worked a lot better. Um, but the thing is that I, I discovered sometimes the weather is really bad and looks as though everything is against you but you can actually use it to your advantage and I discovered that it wasn't the it wasn't whether he was a great sailor it wasn't actually whether he was doing the right thing I mean, you know, that, that's always you know, he could get arrested for that today and that's you know, I didn't have a, I didn't have a Nerf helmet on. or uh, I, I, I got injured several times. Um, it just wasn't safe. Now, that is really bad parenting, if you think about it, in, by today's standard. But the thing is that because of my trust in him and the fact that I, le- I learned something, I actually learned basically what it says in John 5, verse 19, if we can see that. Because it says here, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. Now this is a parent's worst nightmare. Because parents would like their kids to do what they say, not necessarily what they do. But the thing is, that I learnt because I trusted my father. Because he was actually showing me unconditional love. I, I didn't actually realise it until one day after sailing for an hour or so we came back to the beach and he said, you want to take it out? I said, what? By myself? He said, yeah. I said, go for it, it's all yours. I don't know, I was probably about 14, 15 at the time. And secretly, I didn't want to take it out. I mean, I, I'm not really a danger freak. But the thing that got me about it was this was his baby. And suddenly he'd turned around and said, take it out, wreck it. Because it was, it was a possibility. <laughs> and I took it out, and guess what? I got out there and I thought, I don't know what to do. But you know what I did? I did what I'd seen my father do. 
And in that, I learned that I could do these things. I could, I could take a dinghy out and sail it. I, I knew it. And I went through life like that. Because my father kept telling me stupid things like, you can do it. Yeah, you shouldn't have any problems. Yeah, just, just, you can work that out. And he let me do things with stuff that was dear to him. So he showed me trust. And I, and I think that's the thing we, we've got to realise about our, our parents. They're not perfect. I mean, I look back, I can't see anything wrong with, with those things. I mean, he wasn't always like that. He taught me stuff that wasn't particularly useful. You know, an appreciation of loud music. I mean, you know, when teenagers rebel, they get big stereos and play. I mean, I grew up in the era of, you know, Black Sabbath and all that sort of thing. So I used to, I used to sort of play loud music. There is nothing more embarrassing than when your father has a bigger stereo than you and can ba- play Beethoven three times the volume you can play Black Sabbath. <laughs> the really irritating thing is that Beethoven sounds really good, really loud. Um, and that wasn't passed on, of course. His grandson has no interest in loud music. Um, he, he, he gave me a, a concern for the decay of the English language. I had to turn to him this morning and apologise profusely for that first song because it contains phrases which draw the, really stretch the limit between poetic licence and really, really bad English. Um, and he even shot me once. Uh, that's perhaps a story for another time. Um, but <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> I have to admit, it was my own fault. It was my own gun. Um, and I wasn't injured and th- there were no um, sort of health claims or anything like that. Um, it was only a pop gun. Um, anyway, another time. Uh, but see, the thing... The thing I came to realise, and sometimes I think as children we don't realise these things until much later in life, but he actually, he actually did these things for the reasons expressed in the first part of the next verse of John 5, verse 20. Because it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. And that's when I remember that after he'd shown me these things, after I'd spent you know, my, my trust in him, he reversed that and he showed me that he trusted me. And I think that's what, that's what God does for us. He, he loves us unconditionally. He lets us out into the world. And God is a dangerous God. He's just like my dad, possibly even worse. He's not interested in keeping us safe. You know, we are, the Bible doesn't tell us that we are safe from harm. The Bible tells us that we were created to be overcomers. Overcomers of what? Everyday easy living? McDonald's burgers? That's easy to overcome. We're actually overcomers of the, the trials and the, the hardships of life. They don't go away. We just need training to overcome them. And when I look back at my life, Guess what my dad did? He trained me to be an overcomer. Now, I don't know whether he did it on purpose or not. I suspect that... 
I suspect that one of the other things I learned from my father was a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants mentality. Uh, as most people who have, were here in the early days of this church would know that you know, I um, abandoned every form of order and we'd just do things as I felt like it. Um, I'd still like to do that, but people keep telling me that it's, it's not okay. Um, but as, far, as, as fathers go, that, that, that is what I appreciate, looking back on my life, that my father and my, and my mother, to be honest, did for me, that they showed their unconditional love by trusting me with the things that they cared for. They never said, well, don't do that because, you know, that's expensive. And I can still remember my father let me drive the car at some stage when, when I shouldn't have in a car park somewhere. Um, and I came that close to causing expensive damage. Um, but I was never held back in that regard. And see, God, God our Father, is, is, is the same. He trusts us. His unconditional love gives us a trust to step out, make mistakes, do dangerous things. Not too dangerous, but to actually test our limits. Because he doesn't hold us back. His, his love is unconditional. He doesn't get upset when we total his BMW. My dad never had one. Um, or when you leave the uh, radiator cap off his mini when he drives to work and he uh, seizes the engine. I think he forgave me for that. Um, but <laughs> yes, it was. I used to pour water into the, into the Mini every morning and I had to spend 20 minutes with my finger on the starter button while you were getting dressed so that it would start. No. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It was... It was was me. You didn't realise it was me. Okay, oops. Okay. <laughs> Richard was my naughty younger brother who obviously stuffed up. I was the one who had to go up to the garage with you and, and take the engine apart, so you must have realised it was me. Anyway. <laughs> Let's, we'll talk about this afterwards. <laughs> but uh, my, my point this morning uh, was twofold. One, that just like my dad, God is dangerous. And the second is that God has given us his unconditional love by trusting us. Love isn't mollycoddling. Love isn't just an expression of, of feelings. It's actually about allowing people to live their life to their full potential. And that's what I've experienced through the actions of my Father. And we can all experience that through the actions of our Heavenly Father. Can I actually just get you to close your eyes before we finish? Because every service we have, I like to give an opportunity for people to actually meet their Heavenly Father. To actually form a relationship with a Father who is dangerous like my dad, but also perfect unlike my dad. See, Christianity is not a safe philosophy. It's not just a way of thinking that eases the pain of this world or makes us popular with other people, often far from it. It's a lifestyle or a worldview which is transmitted from God's heart to ours as we do life. A relationship with Jesus Christ does not make us safe. It makes 
us more capable or of an overcomer of the dangers that we face. But it does that and gives us the certainty that our Heavenly Father has our back. To have that sort of relationship, all that God requires of us is that we invite His Son into our lives. We start that journey with an invitation prayer where we proclaim out loud that we accept that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Saviour. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, you would like to start a relationship with a Father who, although dangerous, will never let you down. And can I ask everybody across the room here just to close their eyes? And if that is you, can you lift your hand right now, high so I can see it? I'll acknowledge that hand. You can put it straight down. And I'd love to pray with you a prayer to start a relationship, to start a journey with our Heavenly Father. Is there anyone at all? Raise it high so I can see it. I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay, can I get you to open your eyes, stand to your feet? pray a prayer together. Can I ask the person who put up their hand to be bold and actually perhaps come out the front and let me pray for them individually? I know it's a tough step, but now could I ask us all to pray this together with Will this morning and just repeat after me. Father God, from this moment on, My life is changed. I accept your son Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. I reject my former life and become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen.